1: This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast.
0: You're listening to the awesomers.com podcast, and this is episode number 28. So all you have to do is go to awesomers.com slash 28 to see all the show notes and details. That's awesomers.com backslash 28. Now today, my special guest is Jeremiah Kovacs, who's the founder of Muse Minded. Jeremiah is a really good example of somebody who's kind of born out of this Amazon-related ecosystem because his firm specializes 100% in accounting for Amazon-centric firms. Since 2014, he and his team have worked with hundreds of Amazon Marketplace sellers to automate and outsource their financial systems, helping them leverage their own time and energy to 10X their business and build towards successful seven-figure exits by leveraging the things that they're best at instead of the things that maybe we don't like to do. And we talk in today's episode about just exactly you know how people treat finance Often as an afterthought, we talk about the idea that it's a core function that needs to be done in your business to to do scorekeeping, yet so many of us procrastinate it or try to do it in the worst way possible, either ourselves, God forbid, uh, or we hire resources that aren't really specialized and don't really understand. And today, I think we're going to have a great conversation about how we can solve that particular problem. Okay, Awesomers, welcome back. Uh, Here we are again today, Steve Simpson. I'm your host, and uh, today we're talking with Jeremiah Kovacs. How are you, Jeremiah? I'm doing great. I'm doing really great, Steve. Good. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, it's Phonetic Kovacs. Okay, good, because uh, I've got a history of uh, mispronouncing names, and I like to just become clean uh, when I mess it up. So (laughs) luckily, you've got one that seems pretty straightforward to me, so thank you for that. Got um So listen, everybody, Jeremy, uh, Jeremiah, excuse me, is <laughs> look at that. I got the first name wrong that time. Jeremiah is joining us today. And uh, he comes from kind of a, a, a company called Muse Minded, which is formalized, kind of how to put your Amazon business into a, a proper accounting flow. And uh, Jeremiah, maybe you could fill in some blanks from there.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, maybe a little bit of backstory backing up. Um, so I was a four-year accounting grad um, doing freelance bookkeeping, and uh, I ended up kind of uh, sort of falling into this space by accident. So I had a, a mentor of mine who ran uh, a larger accounting firm for large e-commerce businesses, and uh, he essentially was... Um, kind of teaching me his method and sending smaller, medium-sized businesses that weren't quite ready for his premium offering. And so I was kind of getting them on a system that aligned with his process. And so the idea was sort of like the symbiotic deal, where as they grew up and outgrew me, I'd send them over to him. And that's kind of how I got my start in e-commerce. And I decided, uh, you know, I'm just going to focus on here. I got a good thing going. And actually, within about six months, I started to realize that all my best, fastest growing clients were really focused on Amazon as a platform. And so I decided to focus on Amazon as a platform and really niche down our firm to focus on, uh, I would call like Amazon centric sellers where 70, 80, 90% of their sales are on Amazon. Um, And so, yeah, we spent the last, I don't know, about three and a half years now sort of perfecting a service delivery system um, you know, to be quality and efficient and really scalable. So we help sellers get automated accounting systems going, getting, uh, books that are wa- you know, water tight and solid, um, and then tailored to your business. So yeah, that's kind of, uh, and now actually we, um, do income tax compliance and kind of help people sort through this, uh, mess that is sales tax right now. So.
0: <laughs> Boy, uh, that's definitely a, a messy topic that we're certainly going to come to. Um, and, and we're also going to kind of frame up what I think is the typical problem entrepreneurs face when it comes to uh, bookkeeping. Uh, but we're yeah. going to do that right after this break.
1: Catalyst88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, guys, uh, we're back again, and
0: I, I want to um, uh, kind of ask Jeremiah a, a couple questions, and one of them is to to see if he agrees with my general experience. He doesn't have to agree, by the way. There, there's no uh, no uh, bets on the table here, but one of the things I think is that entrepreneurs procrastinate or they they simply won't do their accounting because they don't like it or they don't understand it. Is that fair to say? Without, I,
2: I mean... I can't tell you how many times I hear like finance accounting just tends to be the least favorite thing to do for a business owner. So, um, yeah, no, I 100%. Uh, and I think that leads to a few different, yeah, a few either they don't do it, uh, they procrastinate on it, or they do it poorly, or it takes them forever to do it just because it's not their, their
0: core strength. Yeah, so all of these problems, uh, and Jeremiah did a good job of kind of summarizing either you don't do it at all, which is not an option. Uh, you know, e- even the folks that are saying, well, fine, I'm filing my taxes and I'm putting together whatever the, the shoebox of receipts in, or you know, however that looks uh, to an account, I can't imagine. And they're doing whatever they have to do for the minimum compliance that they think is going to get them by, but they really have no idea how their business is performing. That's, that's a terrible strategy, by the way, not a strategy actually. Uh, The the second problem I think you kind of alluded to in there is this idea that they did it, but they did a a pretty bad job at it because they're not good at it, and they also hate it, and therefore it took a lot of their time. So it's just a ton of pain. And when you talk about the pain train pulling out of the station – for me, I hate accounting. Let me just be full disclosure. I hate accounting, um, but I hate the doing part of the accounting. Whereas Jeremiah went to school for this; he probably likes accounting. Is that, is that reasonable to assume? Jeremiah? Well,
2: I have to be transparent. I, I, for me, getting to accounting was a strategic thing. I'm actually I self-identify as an entrepreneur, and mm-hmm. I went. I got account. I went to accounting to get a hard skill if I ever needed to fall back on. And little did I know, I was going to start an accounting firm, but. Actually, right now I love the um, architecting the accounting, and then I now have a team that kind of runs the day-to-day. I, 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 but I, uh, as an entrepreneur, the monotony of accounting tends to grate at me a little. But I
0: love to solve the hard problems for sure. Uh, and. For those keeping score at home, uh, having a hard skill to fall back on, that's a very accounting thing to do, by the way. Uh, So you you definitely have a good mix. And Jeremiah, that's the mix we need, right? We need somebody who has the entrepreneurial drive and appreciates the fact that many of us entrepreneurs are nutty, crazy, and we don't bother following a lot of uh, processes or procedures, which is to our own detriment, by the way. I'm not endorsing that as as a lifestyle choice. Um, we need that balance of, you know, the numbers. And I'll always break it down to, I call it the scorecard, right? If you ask a business person, hey, have you checked out your P&L this month? Or, you know, what's your cash flow statement look like? Or, you know, how's the balance sheet changes month over month? Their eyes start glazing over and they start giving you the look like, they don't know if they want to punch you or if they should just slink away from the conversation. But if you ask them, hey, how's the scorecard going? Uh, and the scorecard is like, oh, sales were up uh, 8% uh, month over month, uh, 40% year over year. That gets people excited. And yeah. I just, I wonder how the disconnect happened between this concept of scorekeeping, which is great, and monotony of accounting. Any, any feedback on that? Yeah, no, I, um, yeah. I, I really actually kind of
2: think it's a, it's a little bit of a social myth that um, we sort of associate, uh, you know, accounting is boring Numbers. It's it, we associate numbers as being a personality type, um, and at the end of the day, it's it's. I think people just sort of uh, when you see a massive spreadsheet of numbers, you can you you can sort of like um, I think get your eyes glaze over, and then you I don't know you sort of like fall into a common myth that this is just a white noise, and and I I think at the end of the day, people just need a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of understanding how to structure and frame things and and then it becomes useful that way like uh for example you know like with a scorecard you know what winning means like scoring is 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 uh you know a prerequisite to figuring out how you're going to win and i think in the same way accounting starts when in a vacuum accounting is is just numbers but when you have an idea of what it means to win in business and what you're actually going for you have a vision think that's where the numbers and the keeping scores starts to make a lot more sense
0: Well and this is really where the magic of accounting takes over because you could take data and turn it into information and you know I, I'm not a robot so I don't really care for data, but I love information and I definitely love information that gives me the pulse of my business and yeah. despite oh. my, my own animosity towards accounting as, a, uh, as a, just a process like I can't do it it's not my skill set I love once I learned how to read a balance sheet, once I learned how to interpret a cash flow statement and, and understand a and L and the changes and so forth, now it's something that is actually very gratifying to be able to see because it is the scorecard. We can see information about our business on these financial documents, and the absence of that information is absolutely unacceptable. There is nobody who is going to be able to put together a big, successful, long-term, sustainable company without keeping score. That's just that's just the basic fact. Do you, do you agree with that premise?
2: Yeah, no. I, I mean, just from so many angles. One, you need, you need, as you said, not data, but information to make smarter decisions. Um, if you ever want to bring on investors or sell your business, you're going to need solid financials. It's just a part it, you know, part of running a business and reaching your long term goals, it's, it's it's just a prerequisite. Like
0: yeah, it, the, the 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 ante to play the game of business is to keep track of your numbers. Period. Right. And so anybody who's not that's unacceptable. Anybody who's suffering through it themselves because they think that they need to beat themselves down, they really are are doing themselves a disservice. And then of course, uh, you know, any any variation in between, you know, not doing it and doing it poorly. All of that can be solved by just putting in a systemic solution, and this is one of the things that I really appreciate about how you've built your company is you built a system that other businesses can plug into to solve their own gap. They have a system gap in accounting, and you guys just fill in that little gap. Tell us about how you fit in with with companies like uh, you know a typical amazon seller
2: sure so th- there's really um, you know there's really three the solution, there's really three phases to to it. So the first is data capture, the second is data categorization, and then it's data presentation. So um, it, it, those three parts really make up bookkeeping and getting solid numbers as a whole. Um, so uh, what we've done, and I'd love to dig into each of those areas a little bit more, nice. um, but what we've done is created a done-for-you service subscription where we take our niche expertise, And we figure out, okay, what's the most efficient way to capture all of your data into an accounting system, right? And then we've built these processes over time where, you know, we already recognize 80 to 90% of the transactions that most Amazon businesses see, because we see them every single day. And then we know those, those just one-off types of adjustments and entries that have to be made with a products-based business. And we've seen those a million times. So we we have templates for how to do those, um, you know, entries. And then lastly, we've built some reporting, uh, around the profit and loss statement where you can start to track in a, you know, a retail business, it, you're not in the business of making sales. You're actually in the business of making margins. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you have a million dollar Uh, Business, but it costs you a million dollars to create those items and sell them. You don't have a million dollar business. You have a zero dollar business. So one of the really key reports that we try to help our customers understand is um, we break down every uh, we break down their all of their revenues and expenses as a percentage of their revenue. So they can start to see where their margin is 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 leaving the business. Um, and then they can start to optimize those different areas. So really, data capture, categorization, and presentation. Those are really three core components of the process. And, of course, uh, we build a, process, a system so you don't have to code alone.
0: Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how often, we do it. I, I love that summary. And, and too often, entrepreneurs are lonely and isolated enough as it is, you know, especially in this world where uh, many people are working remotely and, you know, maybe they're traveling, maybe they're at their home, wh- whatever it is, but they're already feeling alone and isolated. And then they just have this persistent, you know, fear in the back of their mind, like, oh, I got to get this thing done. I got to get this thing done. And then they procrastinate because it's either, um you know, unattractive uh, for them to dive into it or Maybe they're not prepared. Whatever the reasons are, people procrastinate this stuff. And my plea to awesomers out there is to stop procrastinating and and just buckle down and decide that you have to have the solution. This is there's actually a legal requirement to file income taxes based on real income, and that's there's nobody getting around that. So that's that's a prerequisite that we all live with. And to get that, why not have the best information possible that helps you run your business? And that is uh, something that I think Jeremiah and the team are delivering. And, you know, for my own part, by the way, my favorite version of a PL is when you show the percentages of, uh, you know, against revenue, and you also do some sort of comparison or comps, as we call them, right? It could be month over month comp. It could be year over year comp. It could be quarter over quarter comp, whatever is relevant to your business. But to be able to see, gosh, uh, my margin was, you know, whatever, 40% this quarter, and last quarter, it was 46%. Where'd the money go? And then it, you start asking questions and you start diving in like a, a detective, which is, by the way, is far more engaging and fun when you're looking for your money. Uh, whether it's a positive story or a negative story, it's far more engaging than trying to assemble the actual PL yourself. This is why you know, using a, an outside uh, provider makes so much sense to me. Uh, Jeremiah, do you agree with that general premise that you know, if people take this this uh, burden off of them, then they they can focus on the investigation of why things are happening instead of the how to assemble the reports. I, no doubt. I mean, it
2: it, uh, it honestly, it it sometimes when you you spend so much time creating the report, you end up getting lost in the weeds, and it's sometimes it's almost nice to just open up a report with a fresh uh, fresh set of eyes and say, okay, this is what's happening here, this is what's happening there, so. No, without a doubt, and and I'd say like at the end of the day, you know, what is the value of your time worth? Um, and at you know at the end of the day, I think most of the customers we work with tend to be marketers. Their core competency and the core value that they bring to their business in the world is that they help develop and sell products. And at the end of the day, putting your books together is is not that you know it's not generating revenue. It's not. Um, necessarily generating revenue, it's, it's still a county can still be a profit center if it's helping you recover money. You know, it's not doesn't have to just be an expense. But no, I, I'm with you. Uh, the development of that is for most people, it's not a core competency. And, and actually, one of the things that I've noticed too is um, the one of the reasons I think a lot of our customers end up procrastinating in this area is they just don't have they've not mapped this corner of their business to their calendar. And so they don't have a a set point in time that they know they need to just think about the financial corner of their business. So like in my, and I'm, I'm like, for a while, I was like the mechanic whose car was broken down. Uh, I didn't have a time where I was just diving into my own financials. And so I, what I ended up doing was uh, I, I create on financial Fridays is what I call it. So my every Friday morning is, is when I, um, open up the financials and I dig through all of my numbers and I get stuff, uh, you know, I just get those insights and I take care of what I need to take care of. So, um, yeah. cause if you don't do that, what ends up happening is you fight fires. You end up, you get notices in the mail. You're like, uh, you, you hit deadlines. It ends up creating stress and pain and yeah. The common yeah, entrepreneur experience.
0: It really is, uh, you know, the whole reactive versus proactive mentality. Because entrepreneurs uh, often do not find this as, as a uh, core strength, as Jeremiah alluded to earlier, they, you know, it gets backburnered or non-burnered in, in many cases. Uh, and, but I would go so far as to say, even those entrepreneurs that I know that come from a financial background, it's you should be focusing on marketing. You should be gr- focusing on growing your company because this is type of stuff, especially using a, a well-defined system like Jeremiah and, and his team have, they're going to be able to do it faster and better than you probably anyway, okay. and at and, and ultimately a lower cost. And this is uh, the point Jeremiah made earlier about you know what, what, what's your cost per hour? What, what's your worth per hour? And should you be wasting time on this, whether you're good at it or not, whether you like it or not? And my argument is you shouldn't be. And really, in every company we've ever had, we always put t- together a, a good financial team because we needed to have those numbers. We had to keep score. And I'll give you one example. Uh, we so what happens in my experience—I love to get Jeremiah's feedback on this—as uh, I make the point is, you know, we found something on the spreadsheet where, where or the the P and L. And we said, we don't understand why this number is so high, uh, the, the product number, the margin, something wasn't right. And so we started diving in and we asked ourselves, oh, wait a minute, what about samples? What about the free giveaways or whatever the case may be in your business? Where are those getting booked? And then we realized, oh, wait a minute, those are just offsetting in the, in the gross margin. We got to break those out. And so we learned to, to develop the P&L to a level that showed what each of these marketing functions were, whether it's a product giveaway or sample, whatever you want to call it. And we ended up being able to isolate and define 50,000 pounds of costs each month that were formerly kind of baked into other line items. So this is a fairly large business. So you can lose 50,000 pounds in, in some line items pretty easy. But once we identified those line items, we were able to isolate it and ultimately eliminating it, saving that company over 600,000 pounds, that's pounds, uh, European, uh, UK sterling, and that is... Uh, that's probably close to a million dollars of value for that company. But it's all because we were able to start asking the questions and then diving in. And we had each of those financials on a set date. I highly recommend, I don't know if you guys do this, uh, Jeremiah, I'd love to hear it if you do, but having a kind of a standard drop dead date for financials being delivered each month. How do you guys handle that stuff?
2: Yeah, so for us, it's the seventh business day. Um, and usually the reason we we could do it sooner the challenges with Amazon the payouts the way the biweekly payouts um, play out a lot of times it, it's harder to get though you know you might have a payout that crosses over a month and it's it takes a little time for those to formalize so yeah by the seventh business day usually um oftentimes, Seventh
0: business day is great by the way just for everybody keeping score at home that is uh very very good uh You know, often we've had companies that will put the 10th or the 15th out there, even for our own purposes. So there's time to bring in the data and reconcile and so forth. So, seventh business day, very aggressive. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to back up too about
2: saving money. Uh, You know, there's a really interesting concept that was handed down to me was that, um, you know, we're always so focused on the top line of just cranking out more sales. Um, But the reality is, $1 of sales isn't often worth $1 of expenses and what I mean is for every dollar of expenses that you save that generally equates to 2 or 3 dollars of sales so for example like you you might sell a product for $20 but the amount of money that you're going to make on the bottom line is what maybe 5 to $10 uh, on that product so if I saved you ten dollars, that equates the same amount as if I were to to earn you twenty dollars in sales. So you you really I think it's brilliant that if as you dive down into the corners of your business and you figure out where different things are unoptimized. For example, um, I had a I had a customer that um they started looking into their FBA fees and they they dug down a little bit deeper and they realized that. They were, um, you know how Amazon does their, they do weight dimension, right? Like uh, dimension and weight put together. And they realized that one of their products was right on the cusp of a different fee category. And so what they found out is if I could cut three ounces off of my product, that would take my margin, I would get a whole extra dollar of margin back in the business. Um, So it took a, a whole dollar off their FBA fees. And that ended up equating to like I I, I don't remember the exact number, but he was selling ten of thousands of units a, a year. So that was an extra ten to twenty thousand dollars in pro, bottom line profit. And based on his net margins, that was like over two hundred thousand dollars worth of sales in profit. If that makes sense, so totally does. Yeah,
0: yeah. this is this is a really great lesson and, and a perfect point to hone in on, which is you know, if, if you don't understand all the things that drive your margin, and that, that includes the Amazon fees, uh, there are countless stories, whether it's this three ounce example, or somebody figuring out, you know, gosh, if I change my packaging by, you know, this half an inch or this inch, I'm no longer oversized. There, there's been so many examples of people being able to just make these modest adjustments, but the, you, you don't actually feel the pain until you're looking at it on the report well well i think a lot of amazon sellers are like oh, okay i got my pay on it was 10,000 or 100,000 or a $1 million or whatever it was but they don't actually look at all the breakdown of all the money amazon's taking out they just kind of put it out of their mind and go amazon's going to get paid you know what can i do about it and but that's that's really not the case you know when when it comes to you know optimizing your packaging when it comes to optimizing you know whether it's the weight of the packaging or the weight of the item all kinds of things you can do and once the volume is high enough on a specific item, that warrants a additional scrutiny. You know when you're first starting out, you don't want to overthink it, but uh, as you as you go and as you see the numbers go uh, get higher and uh, accrue, you'll just start seeing these line items. you're like, "Why am I paying Amazon so much in storage? Why am I paying Amazon so much in?" You know whatever the the case may be, and what can I do about that, if anything, sometimes you can't do anything, but more often than not, there are things that can be done, including going back to Amazon and saying, "Hey, Amazon, you owe me money uh, for these returns that didn't happen. You, you know you may see a bunch of returns that happen on your your uh uh financial statement that you may not have otherwise picked up on because we're we're just so focused on what's the payout amount I'm getting, and that's just not nearly the whole story, is it Nope, I don't. know. Yeah, that's, uh, there's so much of a breakdown. Uh, We're going to take another break, guys. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this kind of systemic solution that Jeremiah's uh, developed. uh, But we're also going to talk, boy, I'm getting choked up even thinking about it. We're going to talk a little bit about sales taxes, which is uh, a bloody nightmare. And uh, uh, and it's not getting easier, it's getting harder. So we're going to be right back.
3: Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem-solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Persimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item-by-item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that.
1: You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast.
0: Okay, Awesomers, we're back again, uh, Jeremy Kovacs and Steve Simonson talking about all things accounting and extolling the virtues of keeping score in your business. Uh, we hope we're making some believers out of people. It doesn't matter, I think, fundamentally uh, to either of us, who you pick or how you solve it, but you got to get it solved. Uh, I think Jeremiah is going to be a, an extraordinary resource uh, for the Awesomers out there. We'll put all in the show notes, we'll put in all the links and make sure we get people connected to him and his resources but really, you got to make this choice to get, uh, you know, get right with the Lord when it comes to uh, your financial statements. Jeremiah, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, no, I one of the questions I love to ask uh, people when they become
2: new clients is um, on a scale of like one to 10, uh, zero being necessary evil or one being necessary evil to 10 being a strategic investment, you know, how do you view accounting? And without it... I. I it's, I love to see the people that call it tens or, uh, you know, that, that, you know, like to tell me what they know I want to hear, but it's, it's so true that often people, we sort of have this idea that is, it is a necessary evil. Um, and I get a lot of ones and twos and threes, you know, um, That's good. they're actually I, answering it, uh, how they <laughs> truly believe. <laughs> yeah, no. So you know, I, at the end of the day, um, I, you know one one of the things that I'm really passionate about and and whether um, you're working with us or working with someone else is like how can I help take someone from seeing this part of their business as a necessary evil to as a strategic investment? so how can we leverage it? how can we leverage your time? how can we leverage your data and information to make better decisions um, so uh, that that's just what i'm I'm super passionate about and and kind of the mission that we're on is to really democratize this. So at the end of the day, you know, doing it yourself is not a a long-term sustainable solution. It's often necessary in the beginning. And actually we have free courses that teach people how to get our system going, um, like step-by-step video courses, because we really want to help people that are just getting started, get what they need. Um, But long-term what we sort of see is like, There's this wave of technology automation that's coming in, and it's really driving the cost of compliance down in terms of the amount of time it's taking service providers like our team to do it. And so, what we're seeing is like we want to create a scalable system and solution that we can help thousands of sellers for virtually close. We're trying to get the cost down as close to zero as we possibly can over the next um, few years. And the idea is that. We want to free up uh, money in your accounting budget so that you can start investing that in forward-looking, proactive, you know, future-oriented growth services and advisory, whether that's with us or someone else. So I, I really think there's a—it's kind of a, we're at a special place um, where there's a shift where just doing your books and just doing your taxes, um, it it almost in a way is becoming. It, it, like a necessary evil and that there's so much more that you could be doing. And we're spending so much of our money just in the compliance portion of the accounting that we're leaving a lot of value on the table. So I, I sort of like our mission and how we're arranging things is we want to be a low cost provider and build an amazing system and process to help a lot of people at scale for just a few hundred dollars a month, all of their books and taxes um, and so you can actually see our website. We we have all our pricing is out there um, and really transparent at newsminded.com. Um, and and I, I don't know if you want to put the Empowery plug out here for, I'm not sure if, if how many yeah, Empowery. So, uh,
0: yeah, for uh, Jeremiah's, uh, you know, new to the Awesomers uh, podcast as we're getting ready to launch here. But the, for everybody's benefit out there. You know, I don't do any uh, kind of affiliate stuff myself. I never have. It always keeps me kind of, uh, you know, arm's length away from any kind of deals. But the Empowery e-commerce cooperative has a deal with Muse Minded, and uh, we'll definitely be supporting the Empowery co-op. That's one of my missions is to make sure that this nonprofit member-owned cooperative has the, the access to the coolest and the most unique uh, opportunities that are, exist. And I think uh, that Jeremiah and his team are definitely one of those for sure. So we'll definitely have uh, any of those links on the uh, show notes page that will be available uh, to everyone. Uh, and we'll, we'll name the the episode number and so forth and give the, the link uh, at the end of each episode. Yeah. So in terms of like the solution, it's really simple. We create month-to-month
2: uh, service subscriptions where um, you sign on with us, we'll catch you up. If we need to catch you up, we get automation in place. And then we run it for you month in and month out. We do your annual tax returns um, as part of that subscription cost. So it's really, really quite affordable. And on top of that, there's, you know, since we're, you know, experts in this corner, we literally 100% of our client base are Amazon sellers. That means there's no hand holding, there's no learning curve. You don't have to pay us to learn your business. Um, And you don't, you know, one of the other parts that people don't realize. You don't have to worry about expensive mistakes that you don't realize until year two or three, you know, which I see a lot where they've been doing something all wrong and they realize that wasn't a scalable solution and now their business is growing and now they're going to have to redesign their entire accounting system. You don't have to worry about any of that with, with working with a team like ours.
0: Yeah. So I love a couple things here. First of all, again, we'll link uh, out to the uh, the bookkeeping, the free bookkeeping course these guys offer, which they literally take you through every single part of their, their process. And yeah. this is them saying, hey, you guys want to do it yourself, knock yourself out. Here you go. And I think that's great because the education piece and the understanding the components and the inputs is an important thing for an entrepreneur, uh, really. And so I, I definitely will recommend, a pe- especially people who are not uh, comfortable with accounting, kind of take a look at that and go through that, uh, but you know long term, I would always 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 recommend putting an expert on the team or in this case uh, deploying an expert resource on the team to handle the uh, the day to day accounting and I, I I make a couple points about this first of all there's no you know fortune five hundred company or public company that exists without financials right they, they not only do they have to make their financials they have to uh, represent that they're true and accurate and they have to file them publicly and this and that. So we have to be sure that we understand that financials are a core part of doing business. I, I think we've made all the, the pleas we can uh, the, to, to illustrate that fact. Uh, but fundamentally, if you ever want to sell your business, which I'm a big fan of entrepreneurs and awesomers building equity, right? They, they're building wealth, then you've got to have your ducks in a row. So many times I see people who have built a a reasonable scale Amazon business, and then they're playing the catch-up game or in the cleanup game on financials. And it is a terrible feeling, especially if they delayed it as long as the due diligence because the whole deal could hang in the balance. How much better would it be to have a clear and transparent set of books that going back for a long period of time that is entirely reliable and, and easy to access? That actually is equity. So on any amount of money that is paid, that it is absolutely worth it because you will get, uh, uh, you know, this clear result from it. So I, I definitely, I I love all the things you guys are doing there. Is there, is there a a typical way that, that people on board with you? I mean, what happens when they say, okay, fine. I'm tired of being browbeaten by Steve, uh, (laughs) you know, get this thing done. Uh, what do they have to do? How, how, what, what is the process like? Good question. So, um, for, for our firm, uh,
2: If you go to museminded.com and if you go to museminded.com slash proposal, you can request a proposal with us. So we've um, kind of almost got it down to a science. There's these different levers in your business and you tell us, you know, how many sales channels you have and how many of this, and we will be able to generate a custom proposal from me there. And um, so that's one way to kick it off or on that, that same page you can request a discovery call where if you're just not feeling like there's enough information on our website to fill in all the gaps and you're not sure where the right fit, uh, I'm happy to hop on a free short conversation, generally 10, 20, maybe 30 minutes where I figure out the, you know, your general business model and answer your questions. And, and from there we kick it off. So it's generally uh, you know, from discovery to proposal. And then we have a completely tailored onboarding process where um, you know, step by step by step the first 90 days we get you completely integrated into our system and then our system completely integrate into your business
0: yeah i love it i think you know the fact is you know in every category i always recommend experts right i don't want to be the facebook ads expert there are people out there who are way, way better at it. And I know a couple things, right? I, I actually, uh, I know a few things. Uh, AdWords, Google AdWords. I, I've been around the block. I've spent millions of dollars on AdWords. I've been in the, the thing, but there are people who are just world-class experts. So it doesn't matter what functional area of your business you're looking for. I always recommend finding the best experts. And when you can get them at such an affordable rate that is so leverageable, I, it just it makes all the sense in the world. So uh, Jeremiah, you know, the, we're definitely going to uh, get some people and and you know encourage them to go to the site and and learn a little bit more about this and follow your process. Uh, but let's let's take a minute and talk about that that uh, dirty subject <laughs> of uh, state sales taxes, shall we? Yeah, it's sure. one that we uh, we have to deal with because other you know entrepreneurs out there being. Um, you know, they're faced with these issues and they're not clear issues. So yeah. I like how you kind of break down the sales tax into three camps of, of how people attack the problem. Can you, can you give us that breakdown?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, the sales tax as a process has pretty much stayed the same for a long time. It's, um, wherever you have a requirement, you need to go register for a permit. Um, and uh, once you register for the permit, you can start collecting sales tax from your customers, and then from time to time, you'll need to file a report with an individual state and say, hey, these are the sales I made to customers in your state, um, and here's the tax that I should have collected on those sales. Um, And that's that's simple and easy to understand. The challenge is for e-commerce sellers is it's really blurry and a little bit confusing on where they have a requirement. And obviously there was a new law, there was a new ruling that came out from the Supreme Court where they said, now you no longer have this really clear line in the sand that until you have a physical uh, presence in our state, um, you don't have to worry about sales tax. Now they're introducing these ideas of, of economic nexus that if you have enough sales in a state or volume in a state then you'll have to um you know register so the reality is the legality of all that and what what's going to pan out from a legal perspective i you know that's still pretty up in the air um so you know i think about it from a perspective of there there's really three ways to go about it so um, and I think of there are basically three different options along a spectrum. So, the first approach is what I call the "buy the book" approach. It's the most um, conservative approach. You're going to see a lot of accountants and uh, tax people who, admittedly, have a vested interest in you being more compliant and to you know most amount of compliance as possible. They will recommend that you take a conservative approach. And essentially go register in all the states where you may have a nexus or requirement right away, and then get going with the compliance in all those states. So that's by the book. It's I'm gonna I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just gonna tell do what the tax guy tells me to do, and I, I'm gonna go get registered. Um, on the opposite end of that spectrum is what I would call the sort of wait and see approach. It's maybe the least conservative. I mean, the least conservative approach is like not doing any compliance anywhere, of course, but I'm going to just assume you're going to start in your home state. That's kind of the wait and see approach where you start in your home state, you get compliant there because that's really, you know, standard protocol stuff. Um, And wherever else you might have employees or like hard physical assets in a state, that's, that's where you're going to start. And then you're going to kind of wait and see what pans out outside of your home state um, in regards to how the sales tax laws are going to come out, um, pan out. So, and then sort of in the middle between those is what I call the stair-step approach, which is you sort of, um, you sort of have a mentality of like a by the book approach where you're like, uh, I'm concerned I may have liability in all of these states, but I'm going to approach it. Um, I'm not going to just go and immediately uh, comply in all those states, that, you know. I'm going to create a plan. And in the plan, how, you know, the way I see a lot of sellers go about it is they start in their home state and then they monitor their exposure outside their home state and they sort of set a liability threshold. So when the amount of sales tax that you potentially should have collected reaches a certain point, and whatever based on your risk tolerance, you can put. Is at 500, 1, 000, five hundred, a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand more when the amount of sales tax you, maybe for example, if the amount of sales tax maybe you should have collected in California reaches five thousand dollars, that will be my signal to go and start compliance in that state. Um, and what that allows you to do is is um, it allows you to just stir up your compliance up so that you're not doing too much too soon, um, where your business just can't afford. All the additional labor and time of sorting. And and let's be honest, you know, like uh, when you register for sales tax, it can be an arduous process. And I think you can uh, uh, attest to this, Steve, that states can be very aggressive that when you sign up for, for sales tax, they may try to get you for income tax and franchise taxes as well. Can open up a lot of doors so i wouldn't even try to approach to open up those doors until you could even think about paying an accountant you know three or four or five hundred dollars at least a month to start doing that for you so that's where you you know you maybe want the middle approach is about having a plan so that as your business is starting to hit seven figures or eight figures you maybe are complying and covering all your bases just in case so that's kind of the three different approaches. And, and the, you know, the way I see it is like, I just want people to know all their options and the ones that you can take. And, um, and, and there's not just one single option for you. So does that, yeah. is that clear? Should I clarify anywhere No, no, I
0: think that's very good. I, I'll give my own kind of brief summary of it. Uh, you know, in, in um, you know, kind of Jeremiah's view of the world, there's, there's three ways to go. One is, uh, I'm just going to take the wait and see approach and, and, you know, I'm in the, I'm in physically in one of my States or my home state, So I'm going to register there. Cause there's no getting around that, uh, there. And then that's kind of the, 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 the most maverick of the approaches. Um, and Joker's wild, who knows what will happen. The, the middle bit is, uh, I'm setting a threshold of pain. Maybe it's 5,000, maybe it's 10,000, whatever it is. And then Based on the the potential for the states to come after me, I'm going to go ahead and file and get going. That's you. You called that the stair step approach. That's the toe in the water. I'm not all in, but I'm I'm not all out either. And uh, and then, th- of course, the most conservative and the one that, um, as you said, I, I think a lot of people will go. Well, I should just do this. Is this idea that I should just register in all 45 states that. Uh, collect sales taxes and just you know uh, get with the program uh, immediately. Uh, and I want to say very clearly that you know neither Jeremiah or I are giving legal advice here. We're just talking about sales taxes as we understand them. Fair to yeah. say, Jeremiah? Fair. We're not lawyers. So um, for those, uh, if you guys go to awesomers.com uh, backslash two episode or excuse me backslash three. Uh, that's Osmers.com backslash three. You'll be able to find uh, the episode we did with Paul Raffleson, who is a sales tax expert, where we talked about some of the legal merits and, and some of the legal aspects of this thing. Again, as informational, but it really, it really points out a few things. Number one, the, despite the recent Supreme Court ruling that physical presence is no longer the bright line indicator it used to be, that actually didn't make it more clear as we had hoped, it makes it less clear. Because essentially, the Supreme Court now says physical presence doesn't even weigh into the fact whether or not uh, sales tax is due, and burden will become a factor for small businesses, and that has yet to be litigated. Uh, What the Supreme Court said in the recent uh, kind of change in decision on the Quill versus North Dakota of 1992 is that because the physical presence couldn't be used, In the case of Wayfair, which is a multi-billion dollar company, the court was more or less offended and said, hey, uh, you guys are trying to pull a fast one. You're a multi-billion dollar company. Don't say that you can't comply with sales tax in in a state. That's uh, Just because you're not physically there, that's not a good reason. Uh, What they didn't say, and they explicitly uh, left this open, was that small businesses have the capacity to be compliant. And uh, for those who read the case or listened to the oral arguments or any of that, I can tell you firsthand that uh, the the state of South Dakota, which happened to be the um, the, the state oppressing uh, the e commerce companies in this case, at least from my perspective, they completely misrepresented how um, how much compliance costs they they more or less said, "Hey, uh, you pay tax charge twenty nine bucks a month and, and you 're in business, and, and you don 't have to worry about anything but I want to remind osmers and entrepreneurs out there that the minute you file, you may have retroactive liability. The states will not generally tell you about this until after the fact. And they'll go back uh, as far as eight years, by the way. Uh, in some cases, we've had guys being whacked for eight years worth of back taxes. So be careful of that, number one. Number two, it sets in motion a whole series of events that you may not be prepared for, like income taxes in the states, as Jeremiah talked about. Now, even if Jeremiah's firm is willing to help on that, tax jar does not help with that. And I just like to be very clear about that. Tax jar helps with the calculation, uh, collection, and even remittance of the sales tax to a certain degree, but they don't do anything with related to income tax. Do you agree with that assessment, Jeremiah?
2: At this point, as of at what? this moment, yeah, as Late we speak about uh, today.
0: Yeah. Now, again, things are dynamic and things change, but that's the way the facts are today. Um, this this idea from the the result of this Supreme Court case is, or uh, overturning the Quill decision is essentially that a company with either two hundred thousand dollars a year in sales in the state of South Dakota, or no excuse me one hundred thousand in sales 200. or two hundred individual sales whichever comes first they're they now have the potential to be have this uh, financial nexus is that how you uh, understand as well Jeremiah.
2: Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's it's, it.
0: The, the it ridiculous part to me is, you know, if you're selling an average Amazon sellers probably average somewhere around twenty five dollars. Twenty five dollars times two hundred sales is you know maybe what? five thousand mm-hmm. bucks. This is yet the state compliance could easily get into the low thousands, the low thousands. I'm not going to say it's going to take all five thousand, but it could easily be thousand dollars in a state certainly to get set up. Uh, And to carry that on going. Now, maybe it's less in the future, but it's not even the state sales taxes that have me so panicked. It's all the cities, all the counties, parishes, hollows, uh, all of these various entities are going to start sending bills. And if you don't believe me, I already know of uh, uh, a case in point. Uh, In the state of Arizona, a friend of mine registered. She wanted to get right with the, the state, right? So she registered, hey, I'll collect and remit sales tax. Well, guess what? The city of Tempe said, well, we love this. Uh, We now got a report that shows you sold something in the city of Tempe. Uh, Here's our $50 registration fee, plus a little override on any revenue you did in in the the city of Tempe. Now, this means you have to file a report for Tempe. It means you have to pay the, the fee to Tempe. And worst of all, it was only one $15 transaction to the city of Tempe. This is that cascading series of unintended consequences that panics me to no end. This is why I'm on this rant right now. What, what's your view of the world? I'm not asking you to, to weigh in or judge my comments so much as do you see this potential avalanche of trouble coming?
2: Yeah, no, I, um, Arizona is definitely troubling. As far as I know, Arizona is, is maybe it's a little unfair to see Arizona as the, as the, because they have had, like, the different states and counties set up for a while, which, you know, most states aren't that way. But regardless, there's nothing to say they won't in the future and then come and look for retroactive. But, I mean, to me, I, I am, I am con, I'm concerned just about, the, you know, like, the materiality of it all. Like, I, it just doesn't make sense in that case in point. Like, why would I pay $50? To remove a fifteen dollars liability, you know, it's like I'd rather get caught red-handed on you fifteen dollars, <laughs> you know, um, and and it's it's wild, it's, it's wild. Like you know, like South Dakota, there's what you know, five thousand dollars in sales will put you know, make if you do two hundred transactions, that's what you know, at what like a you know, a six percent. Uh, you know, sales tax, that's what $300 of sales tax that right. I should have collected. And now I'm, I'm going to have to pay at least that in, in sales tax compliance each year. It's like when I'm paying more than the tax I'm actually collecting, that's just wild. So I, I really, I I'm, I'm, I personally fall somewhere between the wait and see in the stair step that's just like if i had a physical products business today that's kind of where i would land um cuz i i you know i might consider doing some bigger states where i'm getting where i
0: have you know but yeah anyways it's it's just, well, it's just it, it is tough listen there there are no clear answers but I, one thing i can tell you and that uh we're working on uh, Paul Raffleson and i'm going to support him and his effort to raise money to go sue basically the state of California or others that are oppressing uh, a marketplace seller. So here's the other fundamental piece of the puzzle that we haven't really talked about. And we're not going to dive into it uh, today. Uh, we did a little bit in that Awesomer episode number three. That's osmerscom slash three. You can go listen to it. But the, the fact is the marketplace sellers aren't even the retailer of record. That's, that's a fundamental problem. Under California law, Amazon is a seller of record. Um, all of the legal precedents are already set up in California. California could collect from Amazon. They choose not to. They're even colluding in some ways, according to uh, some of the documents we have with Amazon, to to put the burden onto marketplace sellers so that they have a, a price advantage. The state is incentivized to do it because they everybody's buckling for HQ2 and jobs and this and that. Right. And so they instead of them just saying, let's just make it simple, pay us the money, Amazon, they're making it complex and they're pushing the burden onto small businesses that, that neither can handle the burden nor deserve the burden. So I wish Amazon would do the right thing. They're not so far. The states are definitely not going to do the right thing. They're in the business of oppression. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the summary I would come back to after all my ranting about this, and you can tell I'm a passionate guy about this stuff. I've, I've watched this happen. And just for clarity, I don't care about sales tax. The customer pays a sales tax that has nothing to do with this ultimately that that 's not a burden on us it 's the paperwork it's the compliance and what i what I know will happen is that avalanche of unintended states, cities, parishes all sending bills just a simple registration. Give me this little scooby snack because when when sit, when you file your state taxes, you have to break down the location of where that transaction happens and a city will, you know, go. Hey, gosh, well, we we just got a little Scooby snack on these ten thousand transactions uh, from these e-commerce guys. Let's send them all a bill for twenty-five dollars or fifty dollars, and now we just got a bunch of new money. So there's so much uh, that's coming on this that I just want people to think about it from the very pragmatic perspective that Jeremiah has already shared. Pick one approach. You can go, you know, all in and pay taxes today. You can figure out how to stair step and mitigate your liabilities. And, or you can just kind of take the wait and see and, and, uh, you know, maverick it up a little bit, no matter what you decide, it's your choice. You're the, you're the one who has to deal with the, the, you know, the, the tummy aches that, you know, if you uh, freak out when you get a, a letter, or a threatening notice from California or New York or Washington, the, these States are acting like mobsters, honestly. And it's, it's a real embarrassment to see it, but, um, you know, who's going to call them on it? That's the question. And, and you know, one thing I can promise that that Paul Raffleson and the Online Merchants Guild and and guys like me who are going to try to help them raise money, we want them to be held accountable. We want to bring uh, litigation that will at least give us a final answer uh, as to this question. So, Jeremiah, I, I know I've ranted for the last 10 minutes. Uh, would you care to add anything? And I'm not pushing you on the sales no. tax issue, just you care to add anything on this topic?
2: You no, know, at the end of the day, I- it's you just need a plan like anything else with finances is you know with bookkeeping you need to have a system like you, you you can't afford to procrastinate not having an idea of what you're doing and how you want to do it and i think um this the same way with income tax and you need to have a plan for how you're going to pay the income tax at the year like how are you going to siphon that money off are you going to just get surprised by a bill at are end are you going to budget for it? Um, and at the end of the day with sales tax as well, like, are, are you just going to just lose sleep over this? Or are you going to have a plan so that you know, you know, you don't have to guess what you're going to do next. You're, you, you, you get the, you get a plan in place and you, you work that plan and you set it mentally aside and then you go make money. Because at the end of the day, all the time that you're spending worrying about sales tax, that could have been, Time you spent you know, growing and, and 10xing your business, which at the end of the day, it's in the state's best interest as well. You know what I'm saying? It's like if they want you to make more sales. Like, why don't you say, hey, how about I put you in the back burner for a little while so I can actually go make some? So um, at the end of the day, I think my big message is to have a plan.
0: Yeah. no, I think that's very uh, sage wisdom. Let me ask you this, uh, Jeremiah. Uh, sometimes we'll ask our guests, you know, at the end of uh, each episode, to, to pull out their crystal ball and, and give a view of the future, and not related to sales tax specifically, but uh, give us give us your take on the future, uh, Amazon sellers, e commerce, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Where is the whole industry going? Um, okay. Yeah. No. Um, that's a really great
2: question. So. I I love the future. I love thinking about the future. I love thinking about technology. I I think uh, I think Amazon has created um, a an amazing moat of of power and 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 so I think value in the e commerce space will continue to accumulate here. I saw just the other day like a, a market share by online retailer, and it was like something like forty nine percent of all uh, market share is Amazon's and the next closest person was eBay at like seven or 8%. So it's it, like Wayfair, which is getting whacked by the Supreme court. I think they're at 1.7% of market share. So like, you know, even Wayfair as big as they are, is just a drop in the bucket compared to Amazon. So I, anyways, I, I still think e-commerce is going to accumulate there. Um, power is going to accumulate there. Um, I was worried for a while that sales tax was going to knock the little guy out of the game and and help power accumulate to larger companies that could afford the compliance. I'm still like I'm hopeful particularly by this stuff that you guys have going on that the little guy's going to have a better voice because there's going to be people standing up for them. So um that's great to hear. Um I think you know, with sales tax, I think what we're all sort of crossing our fingers and hoping for is that this, what, what it likely won't be Amazon, but the states will, will start really shifting the burden onto the marketplace facilitators like they are in Pennsylvania and Washington.
0: Um, and now and, Minnesota, as I understand, effective July 1st. That's right. So, um, and then it just like bringing it
2: home in terms of where I see accounting. The, the the you know I I see you know technology over the next five to ten years coming in and 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 actually like it's 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 actually going to drive a lot of accountants out of the industry um, just because technology is, is going to commoditize their labor um, and and so I see the cost of compliance like bookkeeping and tax going it to zero or as close to zero as possible and there's going to be a shift where um firms like ours if they're going to survive they're going to have to figure out how to add more value besides pushing numbers
0: around um and and that's what we're hard at at work doing so no, that's wow. really good. I think very insightful. And that's, that's an important point, by the way, everybody. You know, people talk about, uh, oh, uh, you know, technology might displace accountants or, uh, you know, technology might displace a taxi driver. You know, Uber's already displacing taxi drivers. But gosh, what would happen if, if there were autonomous vehicles driving people around? Now that's really going to displace people. Uh, but buggy whip guys got uh, displaced too. So let's, let's get with the program that, you know, life is about change. People who adapt skills and who adapt uh, to technology and, and the environment we're in, these are the people who are awesomers. These are the people who prevail in the end. And I'm, I'm very pleased to, to watch your progress, Jeremiah. I think what you guys are doing is an innovative solution in accounting. And, and I haven't said that uh, very clearly yet in this episode, but I want to say it again. The, Jeremiah has brought innovation to a very stagnant and generally boring industry. And that's something every awesomer can appreciate. And and uh, you know, definitely everybody listening to this should take a moment and uh get to the show notes and and talk about uh you know how they can uh solve this problem uh long term. So Jeremiah, thank you again for joining us. Uh any final words of wisdom you care to share?
2: Um I'm good, man. I mean, I'm, thanks so much for having me and and um you know check out our, our site if you think we can help and definitely check out our free course. We want to get your numbers in order so, um, and look forward to maybe having, having me back in the
0: future no question about that there's plenty to talk about thank you again Jeremiah Awesomers we
1: will be right back Empowery the name says it all connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people ideas systems and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow Empowery is a network a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do because we love what you do we are you Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to The Awesomers Podcast.
0: Boy, Jeremiah is such a great authority. Not only do they help you get your house in order when it comes to particularly Amazon-centric e-commerce sellers, but they do it in such a way that even helps you think about the bigger picture, right? Like federal taxes. How many places do you know that you can have that really understands Amazon selling and you know, has your back on USA federal taxes. Now, of course, this is USA-centric in many ways, but if you have a US business, regardless of where you are located, then it's an important thing to make sure you understand the tax at the federal level, and then we even discussed, as you heard, the things on the state sales tax level, which is you know cumbersome, complicated, and not getting any easier. Regardless of how you decide to proceed on that particular uh, special problem, if you will, there are lots of ways to solve these things, and that's fundamentally the point. You can have a solution to every problem and not let finance become a monster that lives in the closet that you're afraid to open. This is episode number 28 of the Awesomers.com podcast. So to recap, you can find all the show notes and details available at awesomers.com slash 28. That's osmerscom slash 28. This has been an Awesomers Authority episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guests, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at Awesomers.com. Thank you again.